By now, it's no secret that COVID-19 has laid bare inequities in how health outcomes and access are distributed across racial groups, across socioeconomic groups. The upshot of which is many hospitals today are staking bold new ambitions related to health equity, which is a movement that you've certainly heard my colleagues discuss extensively right here. And I, like them, believe that these early statements of intent could signal a period of vigorous change. But here's the thing. To truly make good on their promises, I think hospitals may need to challenge their assumptions about how they serve their wealthiest of patients in addition to their most disadvantaged. I'm going to give you some context here. Many hospitals raise money through donations. In fact, the median not-for-profit health system raises a little less than $15 million a year through private philanthropy. That's equivalent to the net income that those health systems earn on roughly $600 million in patient services. It's a meaningful ROI. Those hospitals use their donations to purchase new clinical technologies. They use them to improve their facilities. And they also use them to create community health programs that honestly might not otherwise see the light of day. To raise that $15 million, some of those health systems rely in no small part, on gifts from a small number of wealthy patients-turned-donors. Sometimes those hospitals provide those donors with access to VIP touches while they're receiving care. That could include things like nicer rooms. It could include special amenities. It could include concierge services. Why do they do that? Honestly, it's because there are strong economic incentives for doing so. According to advisory board survey data, patients and family members who make financial donations after they receive treatment identify the quality of their service and not the outcome of their care as the most significant reason for doing so. There's also this. Patients and family members who received one or more of what I'm calling non-clinical add-ons, so you can think of that as things like support with billing paperwork or even free parking, we're four times more likely to want to donate after the fact compared to those who received no such add-ons. To put a finer point on that, basically patients generally expect medical professionals to provide high-quality treatment, but they don't necessarily expect the same to be true of their service. So for hospitals, providing a better consumer experience can actually translate into a financial benefit. And when they seek that translation, they sometimes register concern among bioethicists and other members of the medical community who charge that these so-called medical concierge programs are enabling a two-tiered health system. And here's what I say to that. The full picture is more complicated. That's because the funds that hospitals raise from that small number of patients turned donors, which yes, are achieved at times through the promise of improved service, can cross-subsidize investments in other programs that improve the care available to other patients, regardless of their ability to donate. So the question becomes this. Is it a justifiable trade-off to boost the experience of a select few if it broadens opportunities for many others to access quality care? Maybe. But the current social environment is wary of organizations trying to maintain such a delicate balance. So here's what I think hospitals need to do. At a minimum, hospitals providing such benefits to their donors have to routinely measure the financial return on investment for that organization's community health mission. 
If top tier service for some does not meaningfully cross subsidize broader investments in better care for all, it's hard to justify the services. But if service enhancements for high potential donors do help fund other programs, then the hospitals have to make sure that those medical concierge programs adhere to strict ethical rules. So they have to conduct an audit of their donor benefits. They have to audit how they're administered, all in order to ensure that they don't lead to better care or better access to care. Simply offering improved amenities and concierge services is unlikely to create or widen disparities in outcomes, but that line is very thin and it needs to be carefully identified and guarded. If donors are given preferential access to life-saving treatments like a COVID-19 vaccine, for example, then philanthropy at that moment ceases to be in service to improving community health. I think that a broad set of stakeholders, and in that I'm including clinicians, I'm including development professionals, need to be involved in proactively codifying what services are allowable, which will head off the possibility of future errors in judgment. And then there's this. Hospitals themselves are best positioned to decide whether medical concierge programs for donors are aligned with their health equity goals. Despite the financial benefits of these programs, some organizations might simply determine that it is no longer tenable to pursue health equity while simultaneously offering perks, cosmetic as they may be, to their most generous benefactors. Philanthropy is by definition meant to improve the human condition, and medical concierge services for donors at hospitals have historically been a way to promote philanthropy. But with today's growing focus on reducing disparities in healthcare access and in outcomes, hospital leaders are going to find that the bar for justifying exclusive benefits for donors has never been higher. That was me. I'm Nick Saracola. I'm a managing director at Advisor Board, and for the past six years, I've helped lead our research on how philanthropy can advance the strategic goals of hospitals and health systems. To learn more, visit us at advisor.com or check out the links in the show notes. 